and welcome to Employment Law Matters. I'm your host, Barrister Daniel Barnett from Outer Temple Chambers. This is Season 5, Episode 5, and I'm joined today by Gus Baker to discuss social media and free speech at work. We're going to be talking about the extent to which employers can discipline employees for the various different things that they may tweet, upload to YouTube, put on Facebook use on grinder who knows gus is not the expert on that so he tells me but what he is is a barrister specializing in employment and pension law at outer temple chambers he's ranked as a rising star and an up and coming junior by chambers and partners and by the legal 500 he represents employers and employees day in day out in the employment tribunal now way back when Gus recorded an episode of this podcast with me. It was season one, episode 48, back in the days when there weren't just 10 episodes to a podcast. Uh, And that was on the 16th of April, 2020, bang at the height of lockdown when Gus talked about whistleblowing. And he was so good, I wanted to have him back. So let's start by discussing what the main constraints are on employers from dismissing people because of their speech. Welcome to Employment Law Matters with Barrister Daniel Barnett. What are the main constraints on employers from dismissing people because of their speech? Gus Baker, good morning. Good morning, Daniel. Uh, There really are three different things that employers have to think about when they are wanting to discipline or dismiss someone because of something that they have said perhaps on social media, or perhaps a viewpoint that they've expressed in the workplace. So the first thing that they need to think about is the general law of unfair dismissal. And Daniel, many of your listeners will be very familiar with how that works in the general context, but we will discuss it a bit how it works in this context too, hopefully coming up. But the second thing they need to think about is the Equality Act right and protection for freedom of belief and how that manifests itself when people are speaking about their beliefs. And the third thing that they need to think about are convention rights under the ETHR for free speech and also the right to a private life, which will affect both of the previous things. Let's talk about unfair dismissal first then. I'm assuming that there's no big exception to the rule that you need to be employed for two years before you can claim unfair dismissal when it comes to comments on social media. Daniel, you're exactly exactly right. All the normal unfair dismissal rules are in play. A two-year qualifying period, but also caps on statutory damages and a very short limitation period. So people need to get claims in pretty quickly. So let's assume I'm an employee uh, and I tweet something that my employer doesn't like. Can my employer sack me for it? Maybe. It really depends what the tweet is about. Daniel, let's say you work for Trains Rights Limited, a transport lobby group that talks about the rights of train companies. And you go online and you write a message saying, all the trains are rubbish. They're all corrupt. They're far too slow. And you post that on your Twitter, Daniel. Now, in that case, I'm struggling to think of a protected belief that you could be expressing. And we'll come on to that a bit later. And so this is really a pretty vanilla 
unfair dismissal case. And tribunals have repeatedly held that where individuals are slagging off their employer on social media, that's quite likely to bring their employer into disrepute. And it's quite likely to constitute or be capable of constituting gross misconduct in the circumstances. So that's a scenario. Would it matter, Gus Baker, if my Twitter biog or my Facebook biog didn't mention the name of my employer and it wasn't discernible from previous tweets? That would certainly help. But employers might be able to say, well, if you put the name Daniel Barnett into Google on LinkedIn, it's pretty clear he worked for this train company organisation. And so him going around talking negatively about them would bring the organisation into disrepute. Similarly, you might be followed by other employees of the train company, and it wouldn't be very good for them to see you talking like that about their bosses. So no special rules apply to free speech in theory, unless you have one of these protected beliefs, or unless the right to freedom of expression is engaged which of course it ordinarily is, but it's quite a qualified right as we can come on to discuss. So I understand that, that tweeting, even if I don't have my employer's name in my biog, can be a problem. What if nobody follows me? Or what if one person and only one person follows me and that person is my mum? Could that be <laughs> uh, gross misconduct? Well, I think it still could be because your comments on Twitter are publicly accessible. You can see them even if you don't follow you. I think we're talking about gradations of things that make it bad to very bad here. If you tweet with your employer's name in the biog with thousands of followers, that clearly makes it worse. But if even you've got a small following on social media, perhaps some colleagues know what your account looks like, that can still be bad enough to constitute gross misconduct in some circumstances. So I understand the position if you tweet derogatory comments about your workplace. What about if you make derogatory comments about individuals who aren't fellow workers and who aren't linked to the workplace? So let's say I'm, I'm jumping on a cyberbullying bandwagon for a celebrity. Would an employer be entitled to take a dim view of that and either discipline or dismiss me? Or does my right to free speech give me the absolute right to do that? Well, it's important to talk about the right to free, uh, free speech. You do have a convention right, and that is incorporated into UK law by the Human Rights Act to freedom of expression. And tribunals have to have regard to that right when coming to their decisions about unfair dismissal. However, tribunals have often noted that the right is qualified and your employer's rules may, in some circumstances, be able to qualify that right to mean it's not particularly worth much. And so where an unfair dismissal claim is what's at issue before the tribunal, the rule under Section 98.4 is all the circumstances will be considered. And what all the circumstances means is precisely that. Were you jumping on a cyberbullying bandwagon in a way that could bring into disrepute your employer? Perhaps it would really depend on the circumstances of the case. Did you just like something that someone else 
had said? Was it something quite so small as that? Or are you expressing a political or religious or social view which is more likely to fall under the protections of the convention and freedom of speech? And if you are, the tribunal are going to listen far more sympathetically to your claim than if you're just effing and blinding on the internet. One of my favourite cases, it's only a tribunal case, uh, so it's not technically binding on other tribunals, but it's it's good fun, is a case called Weeks and Everything Everywhere. I don't know if you know this case, Gus Baker, but it's where an employee was found to have been fairly dismissed after his employer discovered he'd repeatedly referred to his workplace as Dante's Inferno on Facebook. And when asked to stop doing this by his employer, he refused and he sent an email saying, no can tell me what to do in my personal life. And the tribunal found that the Facebook comments were likely to cause damage to the employer's reputation. But more importantly, because its first reaction hadn't been to dismiss, its first reaction was to say, just stop it, to limit the damage to its reputation. And the employer's response had been unreasonable. It was the employer's response that made the tribunal say it's reasonable to dismiss in this situation. And there's all sorts of social media cases out there. I'm going to touch you up for your favourite social media case, Gus Baker. I like Smith and British Waterways board, in which the claimant had written online about bosses in general. Why are gaffers such b****s? Is there some kind of book teaching them to be total b****s? So uh, people may or may not sympathise with the view of the claimant in that case, but it was found that he was fairly dismissed by the Scottish EAT. Didlaw is the only law firm in the UK specialising in disability discrimination and workplace health issues. Contact the experts for a free initial consultation. They're nice people, offering a quality service, giving practical advice. www.didlaw.com That's D-I-D-L-A-W www.didlaw.com So, so that's unfair dismissal. It's pretty straightforward. In, um, tribunals, in my experience, certainly do give a lot of freedom to employers and a lot of discretion to employers to take the view that was unreasonable and therefore dismissal is justified, uh, as, as long as the tweeting or the social media misuse isn't, isn't trivial. But what about the other area you've touched on, Gus Baker? What about protection for beliefs under the Equality Act? Would the situation be different where something that somebody says on social media qualifies as a protected act under the Equality Act, or qualifies as a protected belief, rather. Thank you, Daniel. Yes. So what we've talked about so far are very much sort of unfair dismissal cases in which an employee is doling out pretty trivial type tweets, you know, thinking that all of the bosses are expletive-laden words or being very rude about the workplace online. And those are much less likely to exercise the protections for freedom of belief and freedom of expression under the convention. But where an employee is on social media or perhaps in the press talking about their dearly held beliefs, perhaps political, perhaps spiritual, then a whole other set of protections come into play and need to be at the front of employers' minds. And so, as many listeners will know, 
the Equality Act works by giving certain characteristics protection, which are then referred to as protected characteristics. And one of those characteristics is religion and belief, or religion or belief. Now, the religion bit is relatively easy, or often is. Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, etc. But the belief bit is a lot more difficult, because we know that belief isn't just belief in world religions, but can be belief about all sorts of things. So, for example, a belief in democratic socialism was found to be a protected belief under the Equality Act. But just interrupting you, Gus Baker, national socialism isn't. Quite. Uh, And and that actually brings us to an interesting point, which is that there are limits to what beliefs are protected under the Equality Act. And those limits are to some extent set down in a case called Granger. So if I can just explain the case of Granger, it details the sorts of criteria there are for beliefs to be protected. So the belief must be genuinely held. It must be a belief and not an opinion or viewpoint based on the present state of information available. And then it also must be a belief as to a weighty and substantial aspect of human life and behaviour. And so pausing there, it's not enough for my belief that Arsenal are brilliant and Tottenham are terrible. Because even though I think football is very important, perhaps it doesn't meet the greater criteria of being a weighty and substantial aspect of human life and behaviour. It also must attain a certain level of cogency, seriousness, cohesion and importance. So my belief that everyone should dress up as clowns on Fridays probably isn't serious or important enough to qualify. But lastly, and coming to your point quite slowly, Daniel, uh, it must be worthy of respect in a democratic society and not be incompatible with human dignity nor conflict with the fundamental rights of others. So Nazism isn't going to be a protected belief under this criteria. And as you might imagine, Daniel, not everyone agrees about which beliefs qualify for protection under the Granger criteria. And so the Forstatter case that some of your listeners will have heard about involved a claimant asserting that her beliefs in gender-critical feminism were protected under the Granger criteria, and that was found to be correct by the Employment Appeal Tribunal. Uh, How did that case end up? Because a few months ago, there was the liability hearing, and we found out whether Maya Forstatter won or lost. We knew that Miss Forstatter won in the end because her protected belief was found to be the reason why her contract wasn't renewed. But there are other cases in which people's beliefs haven't been found to be protected. Daniel, imagine that employee B posted a month ago at the time of the Queen's funeral. I disagree with everything the royal family stands for. It might be a sad day for her family, but I don't want this family ruling over me. Now, some listeners may or may not agree with that expression. But it's probably likely to be an emanation of a protected, an expression of a protected belief under the Equality Act. Taking a guess, 
a belief in a lack of monarchy is probably likely to be protected. So you'd be hard pressed to dismiss an employee for expressing that. Is there any balancing of competing rights here? So would it be direct discrimination, which can't be justified? Or would it be indirect discrimination because those who believe in a republic are more likely to be disciplined for expressing republican views and therefore it is indirect discrimination and can be justified by the employer? Daniel, it's a fantastic question and the answer is the latter, I think. It's controversial, but what you have to look at in a beliefs case based on direct discrimination, just like any direct discrimination case, is a comparison exercise. And what the Equality Act requires tribunals to do is to compare the situation in exactly the same circumstances with someone who does have the protected characteristic and someone who doesn't have the protected characteristic. And so let's say someone has posted a Facebook post about getting rid of the monarchy. For a direct discrimination claim, the tribunal will compare the situation in which someone who didn't have those Republican beliefs posted them versus someone who did have those Republican beliefs posted them. And the tribunal might well say, well, the outcome would have been the same. But that's not the end of the story, as you quite rightly allude to, Daniel, because clever lawyers for any claimant in that circumstance could form quite a powerful indirect discrimination claim, which says, look, people with Republican beliefs are more likely to speak about them and therefore be disciplined for them. But what's important is that indirect discrimination can be justified if it's a proportionate means of meeting a legitimate aim, whereas direct discrimination can't be. And why that's so significant is you can imagine jobs where it would be wholly unjustified to dismiss someone for expressing Republican beliefs. So let's say a university lecturer. It would be terrible to dismiss a university lecturer for exhibiting or expressing Republican beliefs. But maybe a Queen's footman or a King's footman now, it might be more justified to say you can't have the King's footman posting on social media that they want to get rid of the monarchy. It just doesn't work. And so you can see how these cases get very complicated, even though the facts might seem simple. But really, where people are expressing protected beliefs about the way the country should work or the world should be run, employers need to pause and think, hey, is this a protected belief? Are we discriminating against someone because they hold it? So so what I think you're saying, Gus Baker, if I can sum up your, your detailed response with a pithy one-liner is that having a protected belief doesn't give you carte blanche to say whatever you like. You're absolutely right, Daniel. So there's also an interesting case called Smith and Trafford Housing. And in that case, uh, Mr. Smith didn't believe in gay marriage and had been asked quite respectfully about the beliefs and had explained that thought that marriage was between a man and a woman and was dismissed for that. And that was found in that case to be a breach of contract. That is a very different situation to a case in which someone who doesn't believe in gay marriage scrawls on a gay employee's desk who's just got married 
marriages between a man and a woman in red highlighter pen. The first is a respectful expression of their belief when asked. The second is likely to be harassment on the grounds of sexuality. Daniel, the difficulty comes because not everyone will agree about the difference between a respectful expression of their belief and expression of beliefs that amount to harassment of others. So these cases are notoriously hard because what you're really doing is value judging what sort of comments people should make, where and when and in what circumstances. Uh, And the thing about protected beliefs is that not everyone agrees with them. There's a company that specialises in recruiting HR people. Uniquely, Recruitment HR is run by practising HR people who really understand HR. So if you're looking to fill an HR role, or you're looking to find one, visit www.recruitmenthr.co.uk. That's www.recruitmenthr.co.uk. You're listening to Season 5, Episode 5 of Employment Law Matters with me, Barrister Daniel Barnett, and I'm discussing social media and free speech at work with Gus Baker, also from Outer Temple Chambers. Let's imagine, Gus, that an employer gets a complaint from an employee saying, that bloke I work with at the next desk has been putting some stuff on Facebook that I don't like. It's offensive. What, if anything, should and can the employer do? It's an interesting example because it really is quite fact-sensitive. One thing the employer could do springs to mind to say, can you get off Facebook and get on with your work, please? But slightly more seriously, an employer might want to quickly review the Facebook and see what sort of posts are on there. But I would really urge caution on employers before investigating individuals' personal Facebook posts, because they do have a right to privacy and a right to freedom of expression on their own Facebook. Again, if what's being said is it's offensive because there are views that the other employee doesn't like, again, I would urge caution to an employer before they intervened and said, you shouldn't be posting these views on your personal Facebook. If I was advising an employer, and I often do, I would say that an employee's Facebook posts about their own political or religious opinions have to get really pretty extreme before an employer should do anything to step in. Unless, that is, the employer is named on that individual's Facebook. And perhaps a sensible intervention might be, hello, Mr. Bloggs. You seem to be posting a lot about your love or hatred of party X or Y. Would you mind removing us from your Facebook posts while you do so? That would be a sensible intervention. But really, I think the content would have to be very extreme and very obviously unacceptable before an employer went much further. You've mentioned convention rights under the European Convention on Human Rights a couple of times. Now that we're pretty confident that Dominic Raab is not going to be repealing it, or at least taking the UK out of it, what impact does the convention have on the way that employers need to act towards their employees? Employers should remember that people who work for them have a right to a private life and have a right 
to freedom of expression. And tribunals will take that into account when coming to their decisions, both about discrimination on uh, the grounds of belief and in any unfair dismissal case. And so think quite hard before you intervene as an employer about something that someone has put on the internet or said to the press that is irrelevant to their workplace. If it's their political opinions or religious opinions or something of the sort, really think hard before you're going to intervene and think about why it might affect your business. Of course, if you were an employer who was a political party, for example, you couldn't have uh, someone who worked for the Conservative Party posting about how they hate the Conservative Party and support the Liberal Democrats online, that would be a different case. But I'd want any employer I was representing to really focus on the link between the social media post and how it could harm their interests rather than just embarrass them. Last question, Gus Baker. If you had to recommend your favourite Twitter account, maybe one employment law related and one not, what would it be? Daniel, my favourite employment law related Twitter, of course, after your own, is Jason Breyer, who does almost as good a job as you as disseminating the latest decisions about employment law from the EAT and Court of Appeal. That's at Jason Breyer. And rather differently, I recommend people follow at Drunk Furniture, which is pictures of furniture that look like they're inebriated with funny captions. And I am actually following that as uh, we record this. So I've just clicked follow on that. Uh, Gus Baker, thank you. If anybody has a case involving social media that they want to instruct you on, what's the best way for someone to get hold of you? Uh, Google Gus Baker and you'll see my Outer Temple Chambers profile and then get in touch with one of the clerks. That was Gus Baker from Outer Temple Chambers. Thank you so much to him for joining me today. Next week's episode is on constructive dismissal with Mark Jones. If you enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe. Please do leave reviews on your favorite podcast app. Every single review is read by me. I don't necessarily give any feedback, but I do read them all, I promise. And they also help push this podcast up the charts, which I love. So please take a moment and do it. Thank you so much for listening. Stay well. Bye-bye. Any information on this podcast is for general guidance only. Always seek legal advice. Please see full terms at www.danielbarnett.co.uk forward slash podcast terms.